It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is the first one. I talk to the most iconic artists on the planet about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland, who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to being overlooked to being overbooked. Join me every Thursday, only on Amazon Music. Who they think you're gonna beat them bangles? It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. We have got another New England cheating scandal to tell you about today. But before we get there, a quick mention in the open that we have linked back up with our sponsor, Abco Safety, local to Cincinnati. We'll tell you more about them coming up here in just a few minutes. But before then, I think the biggest thing for us to update you on, we have a few injury notes And the biggest news around Cincinnati today is this crazy New England coaching spying thing. So, Joe, we heard today from Diana Russini, Tom Pelissero, Dave Lapham about this cheating scandal, this report from Diana Russini that the Patriots had an advanced scout on the pretenses of filming some show for the Patriots TV channel or whatever it is, but instead had the camera trained on the Bengal sideline for at least the entire first quarter. And this all sounds like an excuse for me. When you look at the history of the Patriots, they've been in trouble for this before. In fact, the investigation from Spygate, if you remember that from all those years ago, was that the Patriots would have an excuse readily on hand, and one of them would be, that we're filming a TV show. Yeah, this is a quote from 2005. Advanced scouts would be sent to games of upcoming opponents to film the play signals. Scouts would go undercover as media members with media credentials listed under Patriots TV or Kraft Productions. They were prepared with excuses of what to say if they were filming, if security asked. And this is a quote from the 2015 story in Business Insider, the last time this came up for them. Sounds very familiar. Of course, things have changed a little bit technology-wise. You could argue from the last time the Patriots got in trouble for cheating, maybe more plays are called in over radio, but this is pretty wild stuff that the Bengals of all teams are getting spied on for one. And if you're spying on the Bengals, maybe the Patriots are doing it to everyone. And it's just pretty crazy stuff that this is coming out because perhaps a communication issue, but perhaps... The Patriots are just pulling their old tricks, and the Bengals are the ones to call them on it again. Yeah, the Patriots are the Patriots, and I think that's what it comes down to. And, uh, you know, they've been in trouble for this before. Uh, it's been, I don't want to say widely known. I guess when you get in trouble once uh, after that, it's just expected that you're 
If you're not cheating, you're not trying is the Patriot way or is what we have referred to as or they have also as institutional institutional knowledge. And what does that mean? It just means they know more about their opponent than the most uh, the rest of the NFL. So here they are, even though the Bengals are one in 12, they're getting every bit of information they possibly can. And I guess a good way to get institutional knowledge is to make sure you have extra cameras on your opponents that is not part of the all 22 at all times. Outside of this, this is just a reminder that the Bengals are playing the Patriots this week. The Patriots come to Paul Brown Stadium. I believe the last time the Patriots visited Cincinnati was that rain game, right? Mm -hmm. When the rain helped the Bengals out to a low-scoring win over the Patriots. What was it, week four? Yep, 2015. 2015, right, when Andy Dalton got off to his career best start. A pretty different scene to set this time, much more similar to... We're on to Cincinnati. The The Patriots lose to the Chiefs the next week. They play Cincinnati. Last time it was early in the season amongst reports that the Patriots dynasty has ended and a little bit of that happening right now too with the Patriots offense sputtering. Tom Brady looking very pedestrian out there and statistically average at best. The defense obviously very good for the Patriots, but the Bengals now have to host this team. No comment on A.J. Green yet from Zach Taylor. And Auden Tate has an MCL injury. He's probably out for the rest of the season from the sounds of it. In Zach Taylor's press conference today, he said that they would learn more today. He's definitely not playing this week. So it looks like John Ross will have to step back into that starting role and play the number one receiver position as Auden Tate with the MCL sprain. Definitely not this week, even though he's been a quick healer after he got his neck wrenched into his armpit just a few weeks ago and was uh, able to return the following week. So I don't expect to see him in what really cut short a very nice breakout year in year two for him. Yeah, if you look, I tweeted about this earlier in the week or last week. Auden Tate in the top five or six in receiving yard receptions for players under 22. Remember, Auden Tate is only 22 years old this year, was young when he came out, He'll be 23 next year, but for seventh round pick, that's a real find, and he should be a contributor going forward. We've talked about this all year on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Auden Tate provides a unique set of skills that make him a contributor at the NFL level, even if he doesn't have the speed, even if he doesn't have the perfect route running. He does enough that he should be a contributor for this team for years to come. And in fact, I'll argue that he rounds out what we expect to be this wide receiver group with A.J. Green, John Ross, Tyler Boyd, Alex Erickson, and Auden Tate. Put them in any order you want. They all have produced this year, except for A.J. Green, which we expect he will whenever he gets on the field. But point being is, because he brings that skill set that's different, he rounds out this group and makes everyone uh, able to contribute in a different way. We'll see if any of these guys can contend with the best secondary in football led by Stephon Gilmore because Gilmore is really the glue that keeps things safe on the back end for the Patriots, not to mention the the McCourty brothers and other good players on that defense. But speaking of safety, I told you we would let you know about Abco Safety. And in case you've forgotten, Abco Safety is a safety distributor located in Cincinnati and they've partnered with 3M to sponsor the Locked On Bengals podcast. This is a third time this year Abco Safety has thrown their support behind Joe and I, and we really appreciate that consistency and that, as Zach Taylor would say, that consistency, right? 
and that support from Abco. If you or your company purchase safety equipment, give them a call because they will save you money on your safety budget. And Joe, what are the cool safety items that we're looking at today? Yeah, I'm on the website right now. And whether you're a maybe a business owner or your own personal safety, maybe you're a safety representative at work, but I'm looking at something that may be applicable to us as the season winds down. And it's a Zoll AED plus defibrillator in case the Bengals win too many games and lose out on the first overall pick. You'll need that for me, Jake. All those heart attack jokes you're making on Twitter. We have the answer with Abco Safety. Go check them out at abcosafety.com. Keep in mind the prices you see on the website are retail prices and they will establish corporate pricing for their customers. So give them a shot at quoting your safety equipment. See how much they can save you. Give them a call 513-672-1818. Make sure you mention Locked On Bengals when you call. So our normal PFF recap is on now, looking at some of these scores, some of these grades from the Bengals' loss to the Cleveland Browns. And one thing that's standing out for me is, again, another good offensive line performance, especially when it comes to pass blocking. And we saw the run game work. I think even when I was reviewing, I was actually a little higher on Michael Jordan. I thought he did well in space. PFF wasn't as high on, but I'm looking at overall team rankings for the Bengals in the offensive line category. And they're not the worst pass-blocking team in the league anymore. And it hasn't, it's been this way for the last few weeks. But, man, the gap is growing larger between, like, them who are ranked 29th and the Miami Dolphins who are 32nd. The gap between them is a, is a difference of 17-point differential, which if you put 17 points on top of the Bengals, they'd have a top-10 offensive line. So that is a huge gap. I'm just thinking of that game already coming up. Shout-out to uh, – Kimpton Epic Miami, but you know, that week 16 game against the Dolphins, Bengals are going to have a huge advantage there. Yeah, it's funny when you look at those big gaps between the last place team and the second to last place team, and then you add that and you see where would that put them because you can do the same thing with attendance for the Bengals, right? The Bengals' attendance this year, I looked at this last week, I spent a whole five minute segment on it. You weren't here, so I'm rehashing it for you. Okay. The Bengals' attendance this year is 69% through nice. six home games. Nice. But that's worse than the league by 8%. And if you go to the second worst team, it's 11%. So if you were mm. to add, well, that you, you know exactly where they'd end up. But the difference between one, if you take 11% off the top-ranked team, the team in the league, you get all the way down to 26. So the difference Ooh. between 32 and 30 is the same as 1 to 26. Yeah, that just shows you the bad ones are just bad, usually, right? Yeah. In any category, any stat you look at when you do that gap, these bad teams at the bottom. And that, if you don't understand what I'm saying, the Bengals aren't even a bottom three offensive line anymore. How do, I can't even believe that. But they have been playing well. Shout out, Gordy Glenn, Bobby Hart got really good grades this week from PFF. And this is two weeks in a row for the Bengals' offensive line on the whole that the pass protection has looked good to the eye test, and that – carried true into PFF grading. The run blocking, which has seemed better, I agree with you on that, hasn't shown up in the PFF stats. And that makes sense against the Jets, who are one of the better run defending teams of the league. But the running game has undeniably been working. They're getting Joe Mixon the ball in a little bit more space. I talked about yesterday, I really like that little weak side pitch they're running. It has mm -hmm. worked well. Maybe it's because it's not on tape, you could say, but it is on tape. They've been running it for two, three weeks now. 
and the Rams actually ran it once yesterday. So I think these teams are kind of, they had to figure out what was going wrong. You know, the Rams and the Bengals had the similar struggles with their offensive system was figured out, if you will. And they've had to adjust off of that. The bye week did a lot of wonders for this team. They're grading uh, better all across the board since the bye week. And to, to your credit, right, it's not the run blocking that's really shot up too much in, in terms of grading for PFF, but the running actually has. Joe Mixon has now turned in a, a tremendous upside in his grade. He was around like 8 to 12 on the offensive side. Now he's the number one graded player on offense since the bye week. He is now overall for the season, but his the running grades of 75, 85, uh, 71, 72 since the bye week, four out of five weeks, they've been really good. The best they had since then, or, or before that, I'm sorry, was a 68 and a half. Their average grade before the bye week was about a 58. So they've really gotten better out of running. We talked about this. We said Mixon wasn't playing very well, uh, that he looked a little rusty, just wasn't making guys miss. He wasn't making enough plays. We This was a, a criticism of ours. And there was even some people that said, well, the offensive line's bad. And we said, yeah, of course it is. But you can definitely tell the difference in Joe Mixon. And maybe it's the run plays, what they're calling. They're getting better blocking. Either way, he is playing much better himself, just isolating him uh, in the evaluation perspective. He's playing like he was last year. And, you know, what backs us up on this is I just looked at PFF running grades for weeks 10 to 14. And guess who's number one? Joe Mixon. Oh, really? Wow. In the last five weeks, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Joe Mixon is a top-graded running back in rushing for PFF, just edging out Melvin Gordon, Devin Singletary. He's got a bunch of yards after contact. He's making guys miss. And the making guys miss is something that we hadn't seen for Mixon Mm -hmm. early in the year. But in those weeks, he is tied for third in the NFL for forced tackles, missed or avoided tackles with 19 behind Nick Chubb's 20 and Josh Jacobs 22. Good for him, and I want to also give him a shout-out because his pass block grade the last two years has been an average about about 44. He's at a 60 right now for pass blocking. So it was one of our criticisms also. Why isn't he involved more in the passing game? Why isn't he involved more? Why does he get taken out? His pass blocking had to get better, and there's been issues, especially early in the year. It's not perfect still. A 60 grade is just, you know, okay, but it's much better, at least based on PFF, than it was the first two seasons. And he's still being hidden in that area. He was hidden Mm -hmm. more, though, with Marvin Lewis. He already has more pass-blocking snaps this year than he did all of last year. And he has 211 pass-down snaps, generally 293 all year last year. He should eclipse that. Yeah, I believe that means he's on pace to eclipse the total snap count for passing plays, meaning he goes out in a route. He has had a few really bad games in pass-blocking this year, especially the first two weeks of the season. But since then, again, they've been hiding him, but he's been okay. You can put him back there and not feel like Joe Mixon is going to give up a sack on this play if he has to go make make a blitz pickup. It goes to a larger point of what this team looks like post-buy has been much different. And uh, I think first for, for the first time, you can actually give credit to this coaching staff, to some of the players, because it, it goes hand in hand. It's hard to evaluate players when they're playing poorly, when you feel like the coaching is weird or they don't understand these players. They're not a lot of their guys, right? They came in, they inherit uh, 45 out of 53 players, it seems like. And from there, they had to build this team. Now, I don't want to give them too many passes because they're 1-12, but since the bye week, they've been 
enjoyable to watch and been in every game and, and only winning one of them. But even Tyler Eifert last week, he, he gets the highest grade on the offense from PFF. He put in a solid game, four catches, 49 yards. Uh, he's on pace to have his second most catches in a season quietly I mean, because it's in losing games. So he's not making the big impact, especially not in the red zone where we've known him. And that's part of the struggles of this team overall in the red zone. So I think maybe if they can figure out how to use Eifert in that area, it could go a long way to not only salvaging his season to make you feel like, well, he stayed healthy and he was mildly productive and also get this offense to score more points. Yeah, I think Eifert has proven that the salary he's earning is actually relatively fair for, yeah. for what they're getting out of him. He's no longer the player he once was, but he can't be an effective piece. I did want to transition here to the defense just for one player in particular because I'm looking at the same thing. Talking about players getting better in the second half of the season – talking about giving some credit to the coaches. Nick Vigil, in the Mm. last four weeks, he had a bad week 10. He came out against Baltimore, wasn't very good. The Bengals released Preston Brown after that game. Something changed on the defense after that game. And Nick Vigil, in that time, for linebackers that are more or less every down linebackers, guys with at least 188, 180 snaps in that time, so like 50% of the league leader in snaps at that time, Nick Vigil is eighth in the NFL in PFF linebacker grades, tied with Fred Warner of the San Francisco 49ers, and he's grading well at pretty much everything except pass rushing. So if they take away his blitzes, he's ranked even higher in this regard because he's getting he's blitzing sometimes. He's just running into brick walls. So yeah. if you take that out, he's probably a little bit higher on this list. Yeah, another one is Jesse Bates' second half of the second year, and he's not grading particularly while he still has the missed tackles, but the interceptions. And he's got three now in the second half of the year. He could have four. One was called back, obviously, on a review. Big topic, obviously, for the game. But this is what you want to see. You want to see these young guys play well, even if you're rooting for the losses. And I think we're definitely seeing that. The other one is Jermaine Pratt. A steady increase in PFF grades. I posted that on Twitter today since he was named the starter. It went from really poor to poor to average to an above-average game. For the last four weeks, if it, if that trend continues, uh, good for the Bengals, good for him because linebacker is such a huge issue. We're actually getting to the point now where people are asking, should the Bengals extend Nick Vigil? Is Jermaine Pratt a guy they can count on? Is the need at linebacker a little lessened? Is the defense playing well because the linebackers are playing well? Or is it the other way around? Either way, it's these are good questions to start having now as we are entering the last few weeks of the season couple other players to talk about because I'm looking at the same date range. The last four games, the Bengals' defense has been really good. Carlos Dunlap, fourth-graded yeah. edge player for the for, for the NFL in that time with a really strong run defense grade. That's really what has carried him to the top of this list, but adequate pass rushing as well. And then Geno Atkins, who despite having a bad season, when you look at, edge, when you look at sorry only defensive interior players, Geno's still 11th in the NFL in the last four weeks. And yes, he is no longer the Aaron Donald kind of player that he was. He's definitely lost a step. He's lost some of his explosion, but he's still out there. He's still a good player. You you can't really get on Geno's case too much, in my opinion. Right, I agree, especially with the other defensive tackles playing as good as they are. Josh Dupau, Andrew Billings continue to stand out. Um, I'm even even noticing Renal Wren more the second half Mm -hmm. of the year and – same for Andrew Brown, who's actually getting kicked inside, or he was until Hubbard got hurt, and he's been performing a little bit better. Had a decent game versus the Jets. 
Forced that safety. That was a big fun play. So it's not all roses for the Bengals. There are some downsides to talk about here. And we wanted to inject some positivity into the end of the season here because while we're still looking for that first overall pick, there are some good things happening that are worth talking about. And honestly, we should be giving credit to some coaches that we were pretty skeptical about. We'll have to see how they finish up the season here, particularly against the Patriots. That's a good test for all these guys to show that they are making progress. But we will talk about the negatives too because we are a fair and balanced, am I allowed to say that? Fair and balanced podcast. We'll get into that in just a minute. While you're waiting for us to talk about these negatives, go to Spotify if you're a Spotify user and check out that wrapped feature. We retweeted some of these earlier in the week, but you can take a screenshot of your podcast listening history. If you've been listening to a lot of Locked On Bengals, take a screenshot, tag us at Locked On Bengals and tag the Locked On Live account and we'll share and retweet that. All right, Joe, let's talk negatives. What do you got? Well, first one that jumps out, the lowest graded player this week was Darquez Denard. And it's worth talking about because he's been really good up until this game in terms of PFF grading. Actually, I want to credit a lot of the defensive turnaround to him. I know people have already done that. But he's been so good on the outside in terms of uh, turning the run back in, setting the edge. It's one of the issues they had early in the year. You don't see them getting attacked on the outside edge anymore, not as much as they were before. And it looks like that was the issue with his grade. It's his first bad grade all year via PFF theme, a 29.4 in run defense, and a 23.9 as a tackler, missing one tackle. But this is the third game he's graded really poor as a a tackler. So when you look at the raw data, though, just one missed tackle, he was targeted twice in coverage, gave up no catches, and had a pass defense. I don't know. Sometimes the grades don't make sense when you just look at the raw data, but it's worth noting that he was the lowest graded defender. He did have a penalty as well that could be Mm. weighing him down a little bit. I didn't notice him this negatively in the game, so it'll be interesting to see if I do get around to rewatching the game this week where things went wrong for him. It could just be that maybe he was culpable on some of those big runs, right? Right. And, And the other thing that stands out when you're looking at the bottom of the PFF grades for the Bengals, Greg Maven on the field for four snaps. He was responsible according to pff for that big odell beckham screen that should have been called offensive pass interference and landry landry screen oh yeah landry screen my bad and he shouldn't be on the field i mean i don't know not not that that matters at all but it should be darius phillips who got zero defensive snaps in this game yeah, that's the thing. He got none, and we're, that's one of the guys we want to see play over the final three weeks here. The other guy, Carl Lawson, who played in place of Sam Hubbard, he did have a sack, uh, but he got a 40 overall defensive grade, really low, a lot of that being his 38 tackle grade. And for him, uh, I believe that was just one missed tackle on there. Or was, nope, yep. I'm sorry. That Yep, just one. Okay. And so for Carl Lawson, I did notice him a few times. I thought there were times he overran the arc. Yep. I wonder if he's still feeling – uh, the effects. He really hasn't had a great breakout year that we expected. Obviously, he's got 20 pressures and he's got three sacks, which is okay considering he's only rushed the passer 196 times. It's just not as good as I think we all expected originally. Uh, tackling has been an issue, though. This is the third game where he's graded very poor as a tackler. He's, again, one of those guys that we talked about, like with Andrew Billings, with a kind of a, a tight-hipped uh 
short tackle radius, if you will, where he's just, if you're going to make a move on him or get around him a little bit with some agility, he's not the type of guy that's going to be able to make a play. Plus, he was targeted in coverage a bunch, gave up a catch every time he was targeted. But how do I even hold that against him? He's at defensive end, and they got him in coverage because of the defensive playing. Yeah, you can't really blame Lawson for that, but it does come out in his grade, right? And that makes sense yeah. because all they do is they grade the player on what he was asked to do. He was asked to cover. He gave up four catches for 71 yards, including 43 yards after the catch, which means he probably was out of position, at least mm-hmm. in their opinion. He, before this game, had 12 coverage snaps on the year. He had been targeted three times. In this game, he had seven coverage snaps, was targeted four times. So the Browns identified what was happening. And I called this out on Twitter during the game. The fire blitzes aren't working, Lou. You got to stop doing it because they're picking you apart every time you run it. And I bet if we go and look at all those plays where they're blitzing and dropping linemen into coverage. Last week, it was Sam Hubbard. This week, it was more Carl Lawson. It's it's not working. It's, It's just throw it out of the playbook kind of thing, unless you're going against a rookie quarterback maybe because most quarterbacks at this point are good enough to identify the weakness and pick that apart. And they're attacking the edges when they do that. It's they're throwing against Hubbard. They're throwing against Carl Lawson or Carlos Dunlap. And they're not throwing against Nick Vigil and Jermaine Pratt. Those guys are giving up like one or two catches a game now, which is a stark contrast to what it was last year and even in the beginning of the season where you would just target the linebackers repeatedly. Now they're waiting, okay, who are you going to drop into coverage? Well, that's basically where we're going to go uh, with it because they're a 4-3 personnel team that's trying to play some multiple stuff and some 3-4 stuff, which is putting these guys in weird positions. None of them are Bud Dupree or TJ Watt type athletes where they can run around and do a little bit of everything, right? So uh, another negative, I want to jump to the offensive side after I called him one of the serviceable players and maybe the guys I would bring back and and start next year, John Miller at right guard, give up four pressures, the most on the team, Uh, no sacks, one hit on the quarterback, very average pedestrian grade for him. Uh, Michael Jordan was next with three pressures. Uh, Funny enough, though, we mentioned Cordy Glenn grading well. He was charged with two sacks. Trey Hopkins charged with another sack. He's been on the the downward spiral in terms of uh, production lately. And and Andy Dalton himself was charged with two pressures. But Hopkins and Glenn both had good pass blocking grades. So that means PFF is not attributing a ton of blame to them for the sacks they did give up. But Trey Hopkins, we've talked about this before. He does have some issues with the bull rush. He has some issues with the anchor against guys that are stronger than him, which makes sense because he's not the strongest guy. He, he, was not a first-round draft pick like the center riding the pine right now for the Bengals. So you would expect that occasionally your undrafted free agent center will lose some individual matchups. And he he has done so, but he had a bounce-back game in terms of pass blocking, so you credit him for that. Credit Cordy Glenn for run blocking this week. Had a 71.2 run blocking grade, which is probably the best run blocking grade for any Bengals offensive lineman this year without going to look. They haven't mm-hmm. had very many green grades for PFF and run blocking all year. But in terms of, uh, I want to go back to Hopkins too. We also did warn maybe about two or three weeks ago that he is now on the verge of playing the most snaps he ever had in a season. And let's see what that does for a guy who hasn't been the most durable uh, for the first 
early part of his career, obviously. Uh, and now he's up to 872 total snaps, which is far eclipsing anything he's ever done before, 707 being his most in 2017. Comparing some of his grades from PFF, he overall 61 this year, which is just a serviceable quality starting center, and that's probably influenced by being surrounded by some poor guard play at times. But when you compare it to the last three years, or two years, 59 in 2018, 60 in 2017, right about where he's been. This year, though, run blocking has taken a big jump. Normally in the 51 or 50, 52, he went to 59 this year, which 59 actually for run blocking based on PFF standards is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty solid for run blocking because they grade it much more harshly. The, the, yeah. the best run blockers are never graded that high. You'll see them in the 79s, low 80s. So that is not as bad as it sounds. The pass blocking has taken a dip this year, but like you say, that could very well be a function of him being asked to block guys like Stefan Tuitt one-on-one, Larry Ogunjobi one-on-one. Both of those guys have bull rushed him back into the quarterback slot this year, and they're going to do that to a lot of centers in the NFL. Yeah, that's right. And so he's given up five sacks, or charged with five sacks, I should say, uh, 23 pressures, which are both career highs, but again, playing more than he ever has. I'm not saying the center is locked up. Talking about players you want to extend, yeah, maybe you extend Trey Hopkins just so you don't have to worry about center, but this is still not a strength for the Bengals we thought it might be. He had a very good start to the season, played well against Seattle, his best game of the year. Played pretty well against San Francisco and Buffalo. Has not been so good since then. And he's 27. So how many years do you want to give him? He'll be 28 for, you know, the first year of whatever extension you give him. Mm-hmm. So do you want to give him four years? That would be a standard extension. I would be like, all right, I'll give you three. Mm-hmm. But exactly can, what I was thinking. They can stand to improve the position. So that's where I don't feel so rushed i guess but like they don't have a fallback right now because billy price does not seem to be the guy right he doesn't seem to be able to help at all uh but yeah well, we talked about hopkins and a potential extension around week six seven eight um and we thought you know he could make some money in free agency i don't think that's the case anymore i think now we could probably come back and say yeah maybe they give him Three years, fifteen million. Three years, twenty million. Even even in that range would be fair and would keep you at least, excuse me, solidified at the center position, uh, which potentially could you know help them build or st- or at least focus on the other positions on this line. Yeah. So there's some questions in the off season. We will have the off season to talk about those questions. Let's take the last minute of this episode to talk about what's happening right now in New York. Because the Giants are leading 7-3 to with 5 minutes and 38 seconds left in the second quarter. They're about to go up 10-3. to If they can make a little chip shot field goal, it'll be, what, a 31-yard field goal to go up 10-3. to Eli Manning, they made the field goal. Eli Manning is 8-13 for 13 for 110 yards and a touchdown. And they're winning, so you take it. Yeah, I think this locks up the Bengals as a top-four pick if this holds. And also with the Redskins and Dolphins coming up for the Giants and the Bengals probably going to get the floor wiped with them or they're going to get the, you know what I'm saying. Anyways, the Patriots are going to destroy them this week because they're going to be angry (laughs) because they don't need to cheat to beat the Bengals, obviously. But should all but secure the Bengals as a top two selection, again, coming down to week 16 and 
all the marbles for that one. I think that if the Giants win this week, the Bengals can technically clinch the first overall pick next week, although it is very unlikely. Right. But after next week, they, they even if they win, obviously, they, they just have to not beat both the Browns and the Dolphins. And right. the Dolphins game is looking much more winnable now than it was a couple of weeks ago because Preston Williams and Devontae Parker, who are having decent seasons at wide receiver with Ryan Fitzpatrick, are now done for the year, I think. Right. So we may get to the point now where we're at week 16, 17, and this is, you know, if the Giants beat the Dolphins or the Redskins after, if hopefully they hold on to this uh, game right here, they're up 10-3 now. If, if, if they can win this and then one more of those other two, we feel much more comfortable uh, because as that either say they beat the Redskins and the, they lose to the Dolphins, that gives the Dolphins a win, or vice versa, and it gives the Redskins a win and, and it gives the Giants a win. Either way, those teams playing each other, we're going to come back in two weeks and say, okay, there's a lot of breathing room. Go ahead and beat the Browns. Make sure they don't get a wild card spot. If New York wins, that's the big question. Right, New York needs to win one of those games. We're huge Giants fans for the rest of the season. Eli Manning playing well. I hope he pulls an Andy Dalton today. His first game back after being benched for a rookie. And hey, Andy Dalton did it. So why not for Eli Manning against a Philly team that's really been struggling? They just lost to Miami. I'm sure you all recall. Yeah, and for Eli also, I want to mention his record right now is 500 for his career. I think it's 116 and 116. Getting him a win and a guy that you know, probably gets a Hall of Fame argument at the end because of the two Super Bowls beating the Patriots. I'd like to see him end up. Let's root for the Giants. Let's root for Eli Manning to end up on the positive side of the win-loss column. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Joe's back tomorrow for the crossover with the New England Patriots Locked On podcast. Then we'll do a mailbag at some point this week. And eventually... We'll get through another week of this season as we slow motion keep trying to jam that simulate to draft button. We'll all get there together. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first round wild card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.